I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Welcome to This Week in Church History. I'm John Mark Yates, and I'm joined uh, with by Michael McMullen. And we are here to talk about the 5th of November and why it matters in church history, especially British church history with a certain individual by the name of... A Guy Fawkes. And I should care about Guy Fawkes because... Uh, he comes from the same county in England that I'm from, which is Yorkshire. Okay. Um, the same county that uh, William Wilberforce was from and John Wycliffe was from and uh, yeah. Dan Taylor, the great Baptist kind of revival leader of the General Baptists in the 18th century was from. Um but uh, he, this event and, and Guy Fawkes should be remembered for really a number of issues that it throws up, which um, have so much impact on, on things that we believe and things that we do, so much so that I actually persuaded you to jump back a little in time and, and uh, look at this, even though it's technically from last week. Yeah. So for our regular listeners, you caught last week, uh, Dr. McMullen was out uh, under the weather. And so when we were looking at uh, our show for this week, we were looking through and uh, uh, Mike McMullen was saying, hey, uh, we've got to go back and do Guy Fox. We have to go back and talk about Guy Fox." And uh, he twisted my arm. So uh, there we go. And this is what we're doing is we're stepping back just one week to talk about actually uh, uh, an event that when I was at school in Britain uh, was a big, a big event. I mean, the, the 5th of November was, was huge. And uh, I didn't understand all of the ramifications of that as an American um, of of why somebody would remember the 5th of November. but it, It's the equivalent of our... Um, Independence Day, I think, and and uh, Thanksgiving Day uh, rolled into one. We celebrate and we have bonfires, we have fireworks, and we throw um. dummies of this man onto the onto the fire. I sort of say the thing that we missed out on on with uh, the the Thanksgiving and uh, and Fourth uh, of July reference there is uh, you burn people in effigy uh, during Guy Fox Day. Well, because. Um, he was bad, and um, <laughs> and and we are given celebration that um, his plan never was successful. Now uh, you share a, a little in this too, in that uh, you celebrated this here in America um, after the settlers came here, sixteen twenty onwards. Uh, you called it uh, Pope Day, and uh, <laughs> it, it lasted up till about uh, just after. Uh, the revolution, uh, the independence, uh, your own independence day. So it, it was celebrated here for quite a while too. All right. So we need to stop at this point because I am sure that many of our listeners have very limited reference for what Guy Fox Day is, who Guy Fox is, and, and and what are we even talking about? So why don't you tell for us the kind of the the quick story of Guy Fox? and uh, why the 5th of November is memorialized in this way to help contextualize this for our, yeah, our listeners. A quick is, uh, is an issue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is so much history behind this. It's huge. Um, the, the anti-Catholic sentiment and feeling in England 
um, really dating, I think, from Henry VIII, uh, his separation from the papacy, um, the, the beginnings of the stirrings of Reformation here in England, uh, that Reformation being promoted and encouraged by his son, Edward VI, uh, a setback uh, with Mary, and, and then really the establishment of the Reformation with Elizabeth onwards. Um, and, and this growing anti-Catholic feeling um, is there as a mainstay in England, but there is uh, an aspect too of a kind of Catholic um, rebellion in England, a, a, a wanting of a change going back to what the church was in England, which was a Catholic church. And, and really, James I is, is the main player in this. And, and what you have with James, he comes to the throne in England in 1603. Uh, there are several attempts on his life uh, in 1603 leading to this attempt in 1605. And, and basically, uh, a group of Catholic uh, rebellious men get together. They hatch another plot to kill the king. Uh, they gather 36 barrels of gunpowder in a cellar below the House of Lords in London. Uh, it's the state opening of Parliament, and James is on the menu as uh, an explosive figure along with the whole of Parliament. Uh, the Catholics hoped that they would then uh, install a Catholic sovereign, and all would be great. It, it, it would be a coup, and, and not a bloodless coup. Now, the whole lead up to this is uh, if you want to read more about the famed gunpowder plot, uh, you ought to do it. The level of intrigue, planning, and uh, just almost uh, espionage and, and intro, uh, interconnected relationships and other things that all created the opportunity even for this to happen is so amazing, which is why the story can – it's, it's really hard to even tell it in a, yeah, you, in a short you have framework. Courtiers and politicians and houses are rented near Parliament and cellars are leased be, below Parliament as if that would be a great idea where you could store gunpowder in a, in a leased <laughs> cellar uh, below you know, the seat of government. I mean, it would be like leasing a cellar below the White House or the Capitol or something. Whoever thought that would be a great idea, uh, you know, needed some questioning. <laughs> they made a few quid. It's okay. Well, for a while. <laughs> uh, the plot is discovered and uh, the perpetrators are dealt with. And, and uh, so hence you have the celebration. So these, uh, these men, there's 13 that are the, the main, ident main players identified as trying to uh, uh, execute this plot. They get the gunpowder there. They do all these things. What causes the the plan to fall apart? That what what ca what, what tips off uh, the authorities there, so that this is, doesn't happen? Uh, there are two possibilities. One is an anonymous letter was sent uh, detailing the plot um, to a, a member of the government, and it was intercepted. And so a search was made of the cellars at uh, midnight. The Gunpowder was discovered with Guy Fawkes with matches in his pocket, literally. <laughs> um, and and uh, that's one thing. But the, the other side is that uh, probably the authorities knew of the plot all the way along and were waiting for it to be built up so they could arrest everybody involved. Uh, 
And even beyond the 13, more were arrested later and executed, including a Catholic priest. So, so guys like Guy Fox, who he's the one who has the greatest uh, connectivity to this, at least as the story is told, even though the other individuals were, were deeply involved as well. It's his name that's kind of carried on. Um, uh, throughout history, why him over some of the other yeah, it, it really should be known, uh, I believe, as Robert Catesby's day, um, but it doesn't have the same ring about Correct. it. Um, Guy Fawkes clearly um, was going to light the fuse. Uh, he's arrested in situ. All the other conspirators flee when they hear that the plot's been discovered. So it becomes Guy Fawkes as central to this. But Robert Catesby was the organizer. Um, he's the man behind the plot, uh, very intelligent, very good at logistics, very good at selecting people to be involved. But So for Guy Fawkes, uh, what, what becomes of him? He, he's caught red-handed, uh, the match is uh, ready to go. Uh, what becomes of him? Um, him and several others are arrested, uh, they're arrested in London and elsewhere. They're put into the Tower of London. It's the last place you would want to go. Um, uh, nothing good is going to happen to you if you're put into the Tower of London. <laughs> and um, uh, he's sentenced, along with a number of others, uh, to be hung, drawn, and quartered. Um, a, a number, of, about four of them, are killed in a shootout with the authorities. So it really does have all these elements of excitement and intrigue and, and spycraft and capture, and it really is an amazing event. So for some of our listeners, you may even be familiar with um, the Guy Fox character uh, based on some comic books, um, the V for Vendetta um, movies, uh, and the way that a Guy Fox mask is sometimes used uh, internationally as, uh, as a sign for anarchy or for overthrowing governments. Um, we see those images kind of built up and and, and still circulating in, in different ways. Um, so there's there's a long life to this uh, this guy Fox uh, character uh, in terms of what he came to symbolize. Yeah, talk about a rehabilitation of someone. Uh, he goes <laughs> from being the most despised man in Britain, at least among the Protestants, which were the dominant group, uh, to suddenly um, a, a hero. Um, e even turning up in Occupy Wall Street, I saw the mask being worn there. So yeah. it's amazing what happened to him, really. Yeah, he's been re rehabilitated of, of some sorts. Now, to our main listeners who uh, are really interested in kind of the church connection with all of this, we, we could talk about the gunpowder plot as a, uh, an amazing moment within uh, kind of British history. What difference does this make for church history, though, when we look at a character like Guy Fawkes and the cadre that he had around him? What, what you've got going on here, I think the issues that uh, are, are thrown up by this event and by the consequences are issues, I think, which are very central, especially to us as Baptists. Uh, the issue of a religious liberty, yeah. uh, religious toleration, uh, the separation of church and state. Um, all of those things really uh, flow out of this event, especially with the person of King James I. We usually remember him as the figure at least behind the King James Version of the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and yet this is a man who said that uh, with the nonconformists, that if they wouldn't conform, 
then he would harry them out of the land or do worse. And mm -hmm. tragically, or, or providentially maybe for Baptists, they emerge uh, in 1609 onwards during the reign of King James I, who's threatened this kind of action against those who won't conform according to the principles he establishes. And so no wonder the Baptists, right from the beginning with Thomas Howes especially, are, are fighting for a, a religious liberty, a, re, a religious toleration for everyone. Helwes says it doesn't matter what, what you believe, whether you're a Turk or a heretic or whatever, uh, the state shouldn't have the authority to interfere in matters of religion between you and God. And this is such a, a, an important point because, especially in the West currently, we enjoy unbridled religious freedom. Uh, while we may get annoyed at certain ordinances or other kinds of things, the amount of religious liberty we have is uh, historically speaking, is is unparalleled. Um, and, and so when you're thinking through uh, Britain uh, during the 17th century, especially the early 17th century, early attempts with James to say, hey, this is the better way to reign, uh, the millinery petition and, mm -hmm. and other things, just went on, it fell on deaf ears. Uh, individuals uh, who made appeals did not get what they wanted with James. And so uh, whether they were Catholic or whether they were Baptist or any other group, uh, they just were pushed to the margins of society and eventually even had to, to meet uh, quite frequently in, in secret or uh, risk outright persecution. This, uh, this idea, then how do you get from, uh, in, in the case of Guy Fawkes, what, what kept, say, like a Baptist group um, from trying to hatch a plot like, like this group of Catholics? Why, why did they think that this type of, um, of action might have been more justified than, say, like the Baptist who still tried to work for uh, and, and just agitate for the religious. Now, of course, most Baptists, the vast majority, believe that change would come through prayer and leverage and petition and imploring for change through government uh, acts and bills and things like this. Um, but you. You know, you did have a group uh, called the Fifth Monarchy Men who would be uh, convinced that military action was justified uh, to bring in God's reign, basically the millennium. And, and they felt that the sword was a means that was given to them uh, in, the, in the time especially of Charles II mm -hmm. uh, to bring about the Fifth Monarchy, the rule of Christ. So it's not that Baptists completely believed in uh, a peaceful means, but of course the vast majority did. You would always have an aberration, as you did amongst the Anabaptists at Munster, um, e even amongst a group that are, are so pacifistic. Suddenly you have this group that are just, you know, incredibly uh, strange. Um, but the Baptists believed that you could bring about. A, a, a God-given um, avenue, a, a God-given future um, where uh, you would have religious toleration and li li uh, religious freedom given through law. And of course, that's what you enjoy here in America, um, even though you've already had to establish churches here. You've got to a point now where you have um, separation of church and state 
And of course, mm-hmm. you have debates about what that should actually mean and how it plays out. But uh, thanks be to God, really, that we do have freedom to worship in, in whatever way you will. And for it's hard maybe for us uh, in the 21st century to, to think back to a 17th century uh, situation where uh, Puritans and uh, those within the Church of England really did fear the Catholics uh, as well, uh, coming to any type of power, not only from a theological standpoint, but because of Mary. Uh, they were just so concerned even for their own heads, uh, their yeah, own necks. And, and um, you know, Mary had killed 300 of England's leading Protestant scholars. But even after Mary, you have the, the planned uh, Spanish Armada that the Catholic military takeover of Britain, mm-hmm. um, again, to install a, a Catholic monarch on the throne. So it, it wasn't as if any Catholic threat had ended or it really was ill-founded or, you know, religious bigotry or something. There really was a threat that people um, in the 16th and 17th century, 18th century, in a sense, believed could come back. And especially when, you know, the monarchs either married a Catholic or, or there was intrigue with courtiers or something where Catholics were put into high position. So the Puritans especially concerned about these kind of developments. It would be a Puritan who would uh, encourage the law to uh, remember the 5th of November, to make it a, a, an act of thanksgiving for what God had done. But it's even some of the rhymes and the songs that I was introduced to uh, when I was in, in Great Britain talk about God's providence and, and discovering uh, Guy Fawkes and, uh, and how that, you know, God in his kindness and mercy saved the king. And, uh, you know, you, you end up with, with these kinds of uh, songs being uh, sung while yeah, the effigy and, and burns. The act, <laughs> uh, the act that was passed to observe this um, you know, it was passed in 1606, this act of thanksgiving for, for the deliverance of the king. Um, it wasn't repealed until 1859. <laughs> so by an act of parliament, people were to be to observe what God had done uh, in keeping King James alive. And of course, he was very happy about that. Absolutely. So. Uh, you can only imagine. Now, uh, the idea of uh, burning a guy... Um, Guy being representative of Fox, uh, explain that because that kind of was the most bizarre thing I think that I had ever seen. People asking for money and and burning a guy, and and not only that though, uh, all the fireworks that uh, it, it's changed a lot in Britain now. Uh, I understand from being away for a little while from Britain, it's much more organised firework displays. There is a discouragement of you know uh, <laughs> just families using fireworks and getting injured or that kind of thing. So they're much more organized than they used to be. But even the fireworks that you would buy would have a Catholic names. And, and so there was a <laughs> wheel that you would attach to your door uh, outside, and it would spin and, and send out flames and sparks and everything, and it was called a Catherine wheel. And, and the idea being that this was Catherine who was uh, undergoing her own kind of torture. It's an incredible thing, really. And of course, I, I suspect that the average Brit uh, has very little memory or understanding of exactly what is being celebrated. It, it, it's a great day for families and, and bonfire and fireworks and celebration and everything else. 
it, it's a bit like, does the average American remember who the independence was gained from yeah. in your celebration of Independence Day? Well, in the interviews that take place, it seems like not very many actually remember who it was. Um, but the idea of, of you know, the, the guy or the effigy on the bonfire, and in some places in England, a massive celebration in Lewis, uh, they actually put um, the Pope at the time on the bonfire. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the memory here, the, the kind of analogy that's being drawn is burning people at the stake, the equivalent of, that you are dealing with a heresy or treason in, in that kind of way. And tragically and sadly, horrifically, uh, both the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church dealt with those that they considered heretics in this way. Um, mm -hmm. The church would hand over heretics to the state and the state would impose a, a death penalty on them, and, and usually by burning at the stake. Now, in the case of Guy Fawkes and the others, uh, they're being hung, drawn, and quartered. Uh, I, I'm not really sure which I would choose if it would be me. Um, <laughs> uh, both would be horrific. But to deal with people with different beliefs by killing them, you know, where do we get that from in the Bible? Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a radically different concept. And, and this, again, is where I think our Baptist forebears, um, as well as some of the other minority groups that were experiencing persecution, sought so desperately for this religious freedom so that those types of things would just end. We'd be done with, with this type of um, punishment for uh, what would yeah, be considered religious heresy. Even at the cost of their own lives, Thomas Helwes being put into the worst prison in Britain into Newgate, um, where it's certain you're going to die. And even if you don't die when you get in, you'll die pretty quickly when you get out because you, you'll have caught some dreadful yeah. disease in there. So we owe so much to those who went before, who suffered, so that we would have the right to the freedom of worship. It's an incredible thing and never to be taken for granted. Just ask people where they are being persecuted. Yeah. Well, on that, we're going to draw our time to a close now. You'll always remember the 5th of November uh, as a date to maybe even remember on your own the importance of religious liberty, uh, the importance of uh, our freedom that we do have uh, within the United States to worship, and uh, as well, how thankful for we, we are for the way that, that God superintends uh, things uh, definitely uh, on this uh, particular case, preserving the king uh, from the, the gunpowder. Uh, Dr. McMullen, thanks for sharing with us so much on that. I'm glad that we took a week to just kind of go back a little bit mm. to talk about this. This is a, a, a great uh, concept to be able to talk through. Thank you, listener, for uh, participating. If you do want to do further reading or uh, discovery, look up the gunpowder plot. It is a fascinating subject uh, all the way through. Or you can also look up Guy Fox, uh, F A, uh, not F O X like the animal, but F A W K E S, just in case you're wanting to Google that later to do a little bit more work on him. As always, we're thankful for you, and we will see you next week on This Week in Church History. <laughs>